Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions here live on our weekly show. And we are so excited to get to talk to you guys tonight and answer some of the great questions that came in this week. I'm, I'm Tina, here with my friends Jane Wendy. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> and we just want to welcome everyone here to the show tonight. Um, we have just a quick announcement um, just to let you guys know if you I don't know which um, platform you're watching us on, but we are on Facebook, Twitch, as well as uh, YouTube. So be sure to check us out on any of these great social medias, as well as uh, we are also on podcasts. So if you um, go to podcasts, just click or type in Bible Ask and you can find our weekly shows there as well. And so uh, we just want to thank everybody who's been joining us. Uh, we're so grateful to all of our viewers who've been faithful and they keep coming back for more, which is great. Um, if you guys want to say hi and give a shout out this week, we'd love to say hi back to you and tell us where you're from, how you're doing, how God's blessed you. Uh, we just want to be uh, able to talk to you guys and, and interact. If, if you guys have anything to say, uh, please be sure to put them right down in the comment section. Uh, so with that being said, uh, Jay and Wendy, do you, uh, one of you guys want to start us off with a quick word of prayer? Sure. Sure. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this uh, afternoon and this end to, or approaching into a week and this period to rest and reflect and to spend time with you. Please help us to be present with you during this time and we welcome you to be present with us. Help your spirit to guide us into your truth, Lord, as we discuss these great questions that people have submitted. And this, Lord, I, I pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Uh, so, Wendy, uh, we got you? a comment. We've got some. Yeah, we've, we've got a comment already. We've got Eve from the Philippines. Thank you, Eve, for joining us and for saying hi to us. Great to have you. And anybody else is out there watching? Oh, we've got another one here. Um, Angel from the Philippines. That's awesome. So oh, wow. thank you guys for tuning in. And, you know, if anyone is watching this, if you know anyone who you think would be blessed by this information, by by this this show, um, please invite them in, share this with them and encourage them to, to, to tune in and ask questions and uh, follow along with us. You know, we'd love to to have them join us. So all yeah. right. And I have to say, uh, you know, okay. we really get good, consistent support from the Philippines. You might need to consider translating to Tagalog also. Yeah. Yeah, or Visayan or one of the thousands of dialects. Actually, I was going to ask um, Angel or uh, Eve, which island are you from? I've been to the Philippines, and so I have a, a special place in my heart for the Philippines. And uh, I loved it there. I went to Manila and down to Davao and uh, just the most wonderful, kind people. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys want to let me know what island you're from, that would be great, too. So, uh, salamat po. <laughs> and we also have uh, Jennifer joining us from Washington. So, thank you so much for joining us, Jennifer. Welcome, Jennifer. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and get our first question up here. Drum roll. <laughs> Building up the suspense. I know, right? First it's, question. it's coming. <laughs> I hope it's not three, two, one. Wendy can read it anyway. All right, I'll do it anyway. All right. So, since John was the apostle that Jesus loved, why didn't the Lord address him more personally in Revelation? And this is a question is from Frank. 
All right. Well, my friend Frank, um, that is a really good question to ask. I think, you know, that's um, kind of a deep thought when you think about it, because, you know, that takes some context of thinking about, you know, the relationship Jesus had with uh, the disciple John. And, you know, um, like you read in John, it keeps saying the disciple whom the Lord loved or that Jesus loved. And um, a lot of theologians have said that, you know, um, like he never addressed himself, but he just addressed, you know, that Jesus loved him and that he really felt that he had that closeness with Jesus. And um, when you get to, you know, you see the beautiful relationship that um, Jesus had with John, they were especially close because you see only John, James, his brother, and Peter up on the Mount um, when, when they had the transfiguration. And so that was like Jesus's core three people, even among the 12. And so, you know, John was definitely very close and, and had a very intimate relationship with Jesus. So it makes sense, you know, why then in the book of Revelation in chapter one, what I'm, I think you're referring to um, is, you know, it seems a little bit, you know, less close than I guess you could say. Um, so my answer would be, let's go, first of all, let's go to the book of Revelation uh, chapter one and let's go down to verse, um, let's see. Um, we'll start in verse nine just to get some context and I'll actually just summarize. So basically John here, when he's writing the book of Revelation, he's on the island of Patmos and the island of Patmos was basically a place where they would send criminals to be in exile. Um, so John was completely isolated from everyone. Um, and if you know uh, the history of John, um, as far as, you know, what was happened with him, like they tried to kill John and martyr him and they just couldn't kill him. And so I think out of desperation, they're just like, okay, we can't murder this guy. Let's at least isolate him because he keeps spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, if you guys remember the story where they tried to put him in a pot of boiling oil to kill him and they put him in and he just basically had a bath. And so um, here John is on this island um, in isolation, you know, all by himself. And he says, you know, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribu tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, um, was in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So basically, um, he gives us this context of where he is and why he's there. He's, you know, being um, persecuted for his faith. They, they're trying to shut him up and, you know, keep the message from going anywhere by putting him alone on this island. But yet this is where Jesus takes this opportunity to reveal to him probably one of the most amazing prophecies ever <laughs> in all of the Bible. And so um, in verse 10, you know, basically John says that, you know, he, he was on the Lord's day, which I would believe it would be the Sabbath because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, and he hears a great voice like a trumpet. And um, we know from First Thessalonians 4 that, you know, when the archangel sounds the sound of a trumpet, everyone in, in uh, dead in Christ shall rise. So it's this amazing voice that says, I'm Alpha and Omega. And basically it's Jesus. Um, so he turns around and he sees in verse 13, um, it says, in the midst of, um, he sees um, seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like the son of man, so Jesus. Um, but he describes him a little bit differently here. 
And he says he's clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool and white as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. And his as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And so we see um, this picture of Jesus that's really similar to what Daniel described in in the book of Daniel uh, when he sees Jesus uh, appear. Uh, after he, he basically is praying fervently to help him understand um, the prophecy given to him. And so it's, it's very similar um, in this way. And I want you to notice what John's reaction is Jesus. I mean, he'd been with Jesus three and a half years and, you know, he'd seen Jesus transfigure on the mountain. So, I mean, he saw Jesus glorified in a sense, but yet this image of Jesus, this, um, him seeing Jesus as he is in this way causes him to do something very interesting. And if you go down um, to verse 17, it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, for I am the first and the last. And so the to me, this kind of um, is interesting because I mean, he knew Jesus. He was very close to Jesus. I mean, Jesus entrusted him with his mother. I mean, that's, I mean, I think of any disciple, John may have been the closest to Jesus in a sense. Um, you know, they were very, very close, like, like closer, like as brothers. And yet um, when he sees Jesus, you know, in this heavenly way, I mean, in the sense he had been in the heavenly sanctuary, if he's in the middle of seven golden candlesticks, Jesus was in the seven or in the heavenly sanctuary. And he was ministering just as it says in Hebrews that, you know, Jesus as high priest ministers for us in the, in the heavenly sanctuary. And so um, there was something about seeing Jesus in this way that just completely took all the life out of him. And so you know, Jesus could be like, hey, John, it's me, you know, we're buddies. But I don't think that's what John needed at that time. I think he was just so overwhelmed that what he needed was the strength of Jesus. And I think it's so beautiful what you read. If you go back to that verse in um, Revelation 1, verse 17, and it says, when he saw him, I felt his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me saying unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. And I'm going to tell you what I think, um, why Jesus said this, at least um, to some extent, is if you go with me to the book of Isaiah and you look at verse or Isaiah chapter 41, verses 9 and 10. So go with me to Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. And I think this should hopefully kind of give you the answer maybe you're looking for. So, um, it reads in the context that um, you, so this is God speaking to Israel, his people, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest reasons and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. And in verse 10, this is, I think, key. And it reads, fear not the exact words that Jesus says, for I am with you. Be, be not dismayed, for I am your God. Yea, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will hold you with the my righteous right hand. 
And so I think it's very interesting when you compare what um, happened in Revelation 117, where Jesus lays his right hand upon him and the first words out of Jesus's mouth are fear not. I think it struck a chord with John that he knew then and there, you know, that Jesus, you know, was the almighty, but that Jesus was there to strengthen him, um, not to overwhelm him, not to scare him, um, even though he, he felt that fear, but, you know, to, to give him the strength to, to be this next level of closeness with the Messiah. Um, so I hope that kind of answers your question. I think too, um, as you go through the, you know, this, the, the prophecy of the book of Revelation. Um, this was an intense prophecy. Um, you know, this wasn't a time that, you know, Jesus was like, hey, let's just hang out. You know, this was a very, very, very solemn and serious prophecy that he gave to John. And it, it took 22 chapters to complete. Um, so I think, you know, this, um, maybe that's why it, Jesus um, addresses John in a way that, you know, he's like, hey, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm God. I am in control. I'm I'm almighty. I'm all powerful. And I'm going to give you the strength you need. Um, because at that point, John just had no, <laughs> like no life in him at all. He was completely overwhelmed. And so I think, you know, when it comes to Jesus and our walk with him, there's going to be times where, you know, Jesus to us will be, you know, that good shepherd. He'll lead us. Um, but there's other times where Jesus will be our strength. There's other times where Jesus, you know, will be the bread of life. Um, Jesus will give us water of life. He'll be the way, the truth, the life. You know, Jesus is different things to us as we need it. That's why Jesus says, before Moses was, I am. Speaking of himself as the God, I am. So it's like, well, when you think of God as I am, it's like, well, what does that mean? I am the Lord. I am the, I am strength. I am truth. I am whatever you need in this life, I, I am that to you. So, um, I think that's maybe why Jesus in this instance revealed himself as more, um, as something, a, 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 a person of strength, because that's what John needed at that time. And he definitely would need it as Jesus walked him through this incredible and probably overwhelming prophecy. Uh, Jay or Wendy, do you have any thoughts on that? No, wow. I think you pretty much covered it and and very thorough and and yeah, definitely as you said, it's really contextual. So I'm I'm glad you you brought that up that we really should be mindful of the whole context and and often too there's a lot of things that just get missed in translation that we we think God God or someone in the Bible is being rude when really there's more context that we're just missing out on. Um I wanna say uh hello to our friend Vanessa in the Philippines also. Thank you so much for joining us this evening and if you are just tuning in please um please say hello so we can know you're here and we love to um just yeah we, we love knowing that other people are watching and joining us yes and we also have olivia back with us and um Fadia, or <laughs> body as well <laughs> thank you so much for joining us sorry about the name mess up and uh let's go ahead and get our next question up here So Corey is asking, I don't understand in Greek, the word for fish is 
I'm just going to spell it out, I-X-O-Y-E, and I-C-H-T-H-Y-S. Is it spelled I-X-O-Y-E in Greek, not English, but pronounced in English as... Ictus? Ictus. <laughs> I've seen it written both ways, but both ways can't be correct. You don't write an English word in more ways than one, so which is correct? All right, so I'm going to take a shot at answering this one. And it's a good question. Uh, we all need, uh, I think we all need crash courses on Greek and Hebrew. It really brings the Bible more to life. And uh, ICTUS actually is an acronym standing for um, like titles of Jesus, but at the same time, it does mean fish. So let's go ahead and put up a slide that I put together because I it's going to help visualize really what the struggle here is for Corey and why it seems like there might be two words, but they mean the same thing. So let's go ahead and share a screen. So there's these two words, ictus, and then there's this one, ictus. Both mean fish. Why are there two different words? The answer is actually pretty easy. It's the same word. It's just one is in the Greek capital letters and the other one is in the Greek lowercase letters. And in Greek, their letters are way different than at times than our letters. So, uh, so like the very last letter down below doesn't really look like it's capital letter at all. Or um, you look at that fourth letter, it looks like it starts off as an English Y and then it becomes like a U with a, a line on the top. It's the same letter, just capital versus lowercase. So we have iota, which is sort of like the I that they have in Greek. Uh, the X is not actually pronounced like an X as we have. It's sort of like their CH. So ictus, you know, the itch, the cha. And then what what Corey was thinking was a, an O is actually a TH sound, theta. And that one's the same in whether it's, uh, it looks very similar, capital or lowercase. And, and then what looked like a Y versus a U or something different, again, that's upsilon. So that oo sound, not, not a Y, a ya. And finally, the last one, which is different than anything we have in our modern language is sigma. And that's probably where a lot of us in different industries might hear, we hear a sigma at times. And that, that is the, the S sound for them. It's not an E, it's not something different, it's an S. So it's the same word, ichthus, standing for fish. And so I hope that makes it more clear. One word there, just different letters, so it can, can get confusing. It really is hard for me even learning the Greek alphabet because we really have to learn new symbols, and then there at times might be two or three new symbols for each one of those letters. I'm amazed that you figure that out because looking at the question, I was like, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know why they're spelled differently and I haven't a clue how to pronounce them. Uh, oh, I was, yeah, I was going to say that's, um, that was really cool. And, you know, I think that, that like you're saying, it's so important that we look back at the Greek, we look back at the Hebrew and even at the Aramaic, um, you know, like, I don't know why um, this, question kind of reminds me of a question I had about the book of Daniel in chapter five. When, do you remember when the, there's a handwriting on the wall and it says, tekel, tekel, mene, you farsin. 
And then later yes. it says many, many tekel peris. And I was like, why does it say that? Like, did God change? Like, or did he miss say it the first time? Did he misunderstand it? Because eupharsin and peris are very different words. And what I had to go do some research on was that the word eupharsin, it's the same word. It means divided. And, but basically eupharsin is the plural, but peris is a singular way of saying it. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's, it was just kind of interesting. Like there's so many things like that in the Bible, you know, and just like um, things in the Greek, like you're showing that it's like can be kind of confusing, but you know, you have to kind of just go back, like you're saying, and do a little digging. And I think that's such a beautiful thing about the Bible is like, um, like basically like God calls us to dig deep. And, you know, when we mm -hmm. dig, we get beautiful, wonderful treasures out of, out of God's word and, um, out of God's law. And so, yeah. Um, anyways. Is, and Corey wasn't, I think, doing it here, but there's many people who take mistranslations or things that aren't perfect translations into English and then create mm -hmm. a whole doctrine based off of the English, which doesn't properly ex capture the idea or, uh, might even be technically inaccurate and it's just so sad that then people will like walk away from the faith or misjudge god because yeah they're not digging deeper you know if something's not making sense to you yeah go back and look at the greek go back and look at, and look at the hebrew and that's the safest place to establish a doctrine or understanding yeah no actually that's that's so incredibly true um and, and that actually reminds me of a question that somebody sent in to us. It wasn't um, live, or, you know, we don't have, um, it was a couple of years ago, but somebody basically asked, um, why was it okay to scourge like a servant girl if um, basically if she um, was um, sexually mis, uh, you know, sexually abused or something like that in the Bible? And so when I, um, it's, I think it's Leviticus 19.20, um, where basically it says, whoever lies carnally with a woman that is a bondmaid, betrothed to a husband and not at all redeemed, nor freedom given her, she shall be scourged. And I remember, um, and it says, they shall not be put to death because she was not free. And I, the person was like, you know, how could a God of love scourge this woman who is, you know, basically just, you know, sexually assaulted? And, but the thing is that word scourge there is a different word. It doesn't mean to beat like other parts of the Bible, like in the New Testament, where it says Jesus was scourged, like he was beaten. Um, it's actually a word that's only used that one, in that one instance. It doesn't mean to beat, it means to investigate. And so what the word, how it should have been translated, um, it's just the old English scourge meant to investigate. And so um, it meant that the judges needed to look into this case and see what exactly happened because, you know, this obviously wasn't right. And so, you know, the, had it been a slightly, you know, a better translation for modern times, um, it, you would see that, Oh, God is a God of justice. And he was righteous in the justice in that he was saying, you know, God's law was saying to investigate when something bad happened, not to punish somebody who was a victim. Um, so I totally agree with what you're saying. I think, again, <laughs> we have to go back to the original language, go back and do the, that research. And, and you see a, a beautiful character of God, uh, I think, much more clearly when you do that. Amen. Oh, I just learned something new. Yeah. I didn't even know about the explanation of Scourge. 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's just in that one instance. Again, Blue Letter Bible, I'm telling you, I love that. <laughs> I love it. I was just thinking we need to we need to plug it again. Yeah. Definitely everybody use Blue Letter Bible. It has the option called an interlinear view that you can see the Greek or Hebrew word, how it translates into English. And then you can even click on that, get definitions, understand how the grammar works. It is so helpful. You don't need to pay the hundreds or thousands of dollars that pastors pay to use the Logos program. Yeah. Good stuff. I was thinking maybe we should do like a fundraiser or something like that for Blue Letter Bible at some point. <laughs> I think it's one of the okay. best, best apps ever. All right, let's go ahead and get our next question up here. So we just did this one. Yeah, next one. There we go. So Alden is asking, we are to forgive not seven times, but 70 times seven. But will God never forgive those in hell? Okay. Um, so my friend Aiden, uh, Alden, excuse me, I'm sorry, Alden. Um, that's a really interesting question. And um, I, it's actually kind of twofold as far as the answer goes. So I want to first take us to, um, let's see. Uh, I think we'll start first as far as um, the context of, you know, the 70 times seven, as far as forgiveness goes. And if you go to Matthew 18 verses 21 and 22, that's basically the context of where Peter asked Jesus um, about, you know, how often should I forgive? And so Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 and 22 read, it says, then Peter came to him, who is Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. And Peter thought, this is a lot. Like, I'm not just going to forgive him once. I'm going to forgive him seven. Seven is perfect, like the perfect number. But yet Jesus um, goes a little bit deeper. And you see in verse 22, it says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, um, it's kind of interesting because um, if <laughs> Peter being a Jew, would have known exactly what that number, those numbers meant, 70 times seven. Um, that goes back to the book of Daniel chapter nine in the 70 week prophecy. It's a 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. Um, that would be found in Daniel nine verse 24. And so um, basically Jesus was saying, look, I know you think seven is a lot, but God gave Israel 70 times seven, 490 years to get things back on track after they had already sinned for hundreds of years before that, before going into Babylon and so into captivity. And so basically I think what Jesus was saying was not that you forgive forever, but you, when you think of forgiving other people, remember the forgiveness that God has given you. And I think that's really clear in the next few verses because the, um, the, immediately afterwards, Jesus gives a parable in verses 23 through 35, and I'll just summarize it, but it's basically the parable of the, um, the servant who owed a debt to his Lord. He owed him like, um, you know, tons of money, like it translated into, um, you know, what our, our money would be today. It would be like a millions of dollars. It would be more than he could have ever paid back in a lifetime. And so because he begged, you know, his master, you know, forgive me, I'll pay everything back. The master said, you know, because you asked, I forgive you. 
And yet that same servant goes out and finds somebody that owed him like a hundred shekels or a hundred uh, pennies or something like basically like a hundred dollars and was like, pay me my money back. And, you know, wouldn't, and, and threw him in jail be, um, and didn't show forgiveness. And so basically um, the point of what Jesus was saying is, you know, as merciful as God is, you need to show that same mercy to other people. Now, when it comes to the 70 week prophecy of Daniel nine, um, <laughs> there was an end to that prophecy in after 490 years, you know, God said, you know, desolations are determined upon thy people and the end shall be with the flood. There's going to be a, a, an, um, an end to, to my mercy. Once you go past the point where you will not, um, you know, you will not submit to, to God's will. God has to just, you know, release his calling to you because you can't even hear his Holy Spirit anymore. And so, um, that's really what it was talking about. And if you know, the end of the 490 prophecy, uh, it basically takes you to, um, the, the last week of the prophecy in the middle of the week, Jesus dies for the sins of, of, of the whole world. And he dies at the by the hands of the Jewish nation that was supposed to be the ones welcoming the Messiah, and yet they they murdered the Son of God. But yet three and a half years later, Jesus still called to the Jews, still used his disciples to try to reach them. And at the stoning of Stephen, that is the end of the 470 prophecy of Daniel 9:24, where you see that you know God gives up Israel, they're no longer my people. And in 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem happened um, that Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, you know, where no stone was left upon another. So there, there comes an end to God's mercy when there is no more repentance from the other person. So if the other person is repenting or asking for forgiveness, continue to forgive that person, of course. But there comes a point where a person is no longer repentant. They don't want to be forgiven. They don't want they just don't want a relationship with you or that, you know, that person. And so when it comes to, um, you know, God not forgiving somebody who is going to hell, it's not that God doesn't want to forgive them. God gave them every opportunity to forgive them, but they just didn't want to be forgiven because first John one nine says, if you confess your sins, I'm God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the only sin that cannot be forgiven is the one that's not confessed. Um, so that's part one of my answer. And part two is um, the, I don't say the assumption, but basically you're saying that um, God will never forgive those in hell. And to me, that's saying that I'm guessing you're thinking that people are in hell forever, like they're burning forever in hell. And I'm here to tell you that that's not what happens in hell. Um, and I'll show you. Um, if you look with me in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 28, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Um, I don't think it'll be on the board. But basically it says, and fear not them which kill the body. Um, so basically people, you know, people that would persecute you. Don't fear them who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him being God, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So what happens in hell is that people and their soul are destroyed. You don't burn forever in agony in hell. That doesn't make any sense for God of love to punish you forever and ever in all eternity, burning and suffering 
for a lifetime, what, 50, 60, 70, maybe 100 years of sin? That doesn't make sense. And how could you be in heaven knowing that you have loved ones who are burning and suffering forever while you're trying to enjoy heaven? Um, I don't, <laughs> that doesn't, that's not logical. That's, that goes against God's character. And I really believe that this is one of the biggest lies of the devil that, you know, yes. to, paint picture, <laughs> to paint the picture of God as this, you know, sadistic, evil, mean person. And God is not that way. And I want to further show you just, <laughs> to prove you, um, you know, hell is not forever. It, you don't burn in hell forever. You are destroyed in hell forever. You turn to ash and you're done. It's that if you never existed, if you read the book of Obadiah, it says they shall be as though they had never been. Um, but if you look in the book of Revelation chapter 20, this is really key. Revelation chapter 20 verses 14 and 15 um, show you what actually goes into hell, what is actually destroyed there. Um Revelation 14 and 15 says, then death and Hades, which is hell, were cast because the word hell doesn't mean where you burn forever. Hell means the grave or Hades means the grave. De death and, and Hades and let's pause right there for a moment because we've been talking about mistranslations into English. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the biggest ones. And, you know, there's a lot of conflict between Christians of what's the Bible which version of the Bible is better, King James Version or NIV and on and on. This is one of those times where NIV is better, where it actually translates a lot of these references to the grave or to death, and it, and it actually probably translates it as such, whereas the King James Version, for example, might call those hell, Hades, or things like that. So, yeah, this is where looking at the original words helps a lot. Back to you, Tina. Yeah, no problem. So yeah, the, like in the, in Hebrews, the word for hell, like you read about it in the book of Psalms, like um, David constantly says, you know, do not leave my soul in hell. He's not saying he's literally in hell somewhere burning. It, it, hell means the grave. Um, and it's a word seol. And it means like the pit or the grave. It doesn't mean <laughs> you're in some place of fire that you're burning and tormented. And you're definitely not there forever, I promise you, uh, based on God's word. Um, so back to Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. Um, so speaking of death and the grave, it says in Revelation 20, verse 14, um, it says, Then death and Hades, hell or the grave, uh, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So basically, you die once on this earth, then the judgment. And then um, if you go into verse 15, it says these, um, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So those who are um, death and hell or <laughs> Hades the grave are cast into the lake of fire. And that is, you know, where you are basically, you know, destroyed. And, um, if you don't believe me, then go ahead and look in the book of Malachi chapter four, verses one through three. Um, and there's many other verses I could share, but I think this one makes it most clear. Matthew chapter four, verses one through three. And it reads, um, excuse me, Matthew four, one through three. If not, I'll pull it up myself. Oh, sorry, Malachi. Am I giving you the wrong verse? I'm sorry. Um, Malachi chapter four. Uh, can we start in verse one? That is 
the key verse there. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. They will not be burning forever. They will be stubble. That's the end result of being burned up. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. And verse 2 reads, But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Uh, And verse 3 says, You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. So there will be a day of judgment. And the day of judgment is when the the wicked are annihilated and they are burned up. They are destroyed. They do not burn forever and ever. That is terrible. Um, and you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Um I'm, you know, when you die, you sleep. That's what the Bible says. And it says in first Thessalonians four, that you know, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those that are alive and remain, his people shall be caught up with them. And so shall they ever be with the Lord. Then we have a millennium that happens. Um, all the d- wicked are destroyed. The millennium happens. And when the millennium is over, all the dead who are wicked, who are on the earth are resurrected. The, they have a short season with the devil to try to you know, have this Armageddon and destroy God's people. But we come down as New Jerusalem and they are wiped out. That is it. They are destroyed. Um, and I, I do think some maybe are punished more than others based on their sins. You know, I think people who murdered, you know, probably suffer more uh, as they're being destroyed than maybe somebody who, you know, just stole or something like that. You know, there, there may be degrees of punishment. But the end result is the same, which is they are destroyed. They are dead. And um, if you don't, <laughs> to just show you one last verse is uh, Romans 6, 23. It says, for the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, but it says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is not eternal life, just suffering. The um but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So only the, the righteous have eternal life um, and only the wicked have eternal death. And so um, that would be hopefully um, an adequate answer to your question. And I hope that through that, you see that um, God is a God of mercy and you know he won't put people in heaven if they don't want to be there. And so because it would be like hell to them to be in a place where God is constantly worshiped and obeyed, they would be miserable. And so God lets people choose what they would rather do. They would do rather live forever in God's world because outside of God, there is no life. And so you're choosing death otherwise. And so um, my prayer for you, my friend, is that you'll choose life. You'll choose Jesus and you'll choose his ways, which are perfect. And that you'll see God is a God of love who cares about you and desires only your good. Uh, Jay or Wendy, <laughs> sorry, any other thoughts? No. Yeah, I always like to take biblical concepts and put them into the context of a family. So let's say you are parents and you have, let's say a really large family with 10 kids and you have one kid who continues to beat up the other kids and you try to correct them, you try to talk with them, they don't stop. He keeps hurting the other kids. 
He keeps stealing from the other kids, mm -hmm. keeps blaming the other kids, keeps now, he, and he now tries to tempt the other kids to do wrong, to steal, to hurt the, each other, to disobey you. And he just won't stop. And let's say you now have perfect knowledge about this kid. You know you can get into his mind and you know he will never, ever change. And unless you do something about him, he is going to kill, end up killing or causing your kids to kill each other. What do you do about that? What is love going to have you do? And, and so at some point you have to draw the line, even not for your sake, but for those you love. And that's really how it is with God. He's giving people every chance to show that they can live in love and in harmony with those around them. God's law is to love. We could go verse after verse. I think we tend to do that on this because that's what we really believe. God is love. His law is love. He wants us to love. He wants us to be in his loving image. And when someone doesn't want to be a part of that mm -hmm. system and rebels against it, when they're not going to be loving, they're going to be sinning. They're going to be acting in their own selfishness. They're going to be hurting others. And the whole system of love that God mm -hmm. created will just fall apart. So God has to draw the line for protection of those he loves, for his angels, for humans, for any other beings he's created, for the animals who the Bible says are suffering, groaning mm -hmm. in, in pain because of the state of this fallen world. Mm -hmm. God has to put an end to sin. And for people who choose to be sinful, identify with sin, continue sin, the only way for God to put an end to sin is to put an end to them too. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the Bible says like God has set a time. He's determined a time when he's just going to say enough is enough. And, and it's not that just anyone who, who, you know, causes these problems and is struggling and, you know, with sin and these kinds of things. It's not that God's just going to do away with those people. It's only after he has given them everything they need to overcome that and they continue to rebel against it and he mm -hmm. knows that they will never choose to do anything but sin and cause problems for god's children you know for those who want a harmonious community and they will they will choose they will make the choice for themselves they don't want to be a part of god's community and they will they will choose destruction over being a part of God's kingdom. And so it's not that that God is this this you know Santa Claus. I'm gonna find out who's naughty and nice, and I'm gonna you know punish you naughty person. Like that's not how God mm. works. It's like right. He's constantly trying to give us every reason to turn to Him, every reason to choose Him over that struggle over that temptation over that sinful thing that we are facing and he is trying to pull to to earn our trust to earn our um why do you why do you think christ died on the cross yeah. yeah yeah god is doing everything and all we have to do is say yes i want that and keep saying yes i want that and every time we mess up, go back and say, yes, I, I'm sorry, I messed up and I want what God has. And so he's giving every opportunity there. So when that final destruction occurs, it's not 
that God is is just this this crazy you know evil judge like or or vindictive judge it's not like that at all and, and actually I, this now I'm is sorry. a good parallel to the next question uh unless oh. you have more to say sorry uh, no 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 I'm so sorry I think that was such a valid point you made Wendy and um it just reminded me of the verse um two verses actually really quick um and one is in Ezekiel 33 this is God in the Old Testament and then reiterated in the New Testament. But basically Ezekiel 33, 11 says, um, God says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn yes. you from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God does not want us to choose death. God wants us to choose life. That is his desire. God's, you know, for, or John 3, 16, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should mm -hmm. come to repentance. Um, but again, in um, 2 Peter 3, 9, um, basically that's what it says. God is not slack concerning his promise, but is long suffering. He's patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God, um, just like you're saying, he's giving us chances. He's calling to our hearts, you know, to turn away from the evil way and turn back to him. Uh, because he does love us. He does want to live in, in a harmonious relationship with us and with each other for all eternity. But um, it's up to us to decide, you know, do we want to choose self or do we want to mm -hmm. choose love? Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, I think that's really the bottom line. Truly is. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's get our next question up here. It, which just flows perfectly from what we're mm -hmm. talking about. So Gloria is asking, what does the Bible say about discernment and emotions? Are our emotions interfering with good discernment choices we make? How do we know? I, I love this question. It's a really good question. Because so often within the faith communities, emotions are viewed as this evil thing. When God created emotions in us, he created us with a limbic system that is where our emotions are experienced and processed and emotions are energy. I mean, that you've probably heard emotions are energy in motion. And it, it, without emotions, we, would, we wouldn't really function. So emotions are a part of how we're made. So I, I love this question. Of, and that's a good way to set up the question, right? Like, why do we have emotions? Are they evil? No, right? It's sort of like the spice of life that God gave us mm -hmm. to make life interesting and as it said to motivate us at times to take action mm -hmm. and god expresses emotions right jesus wept yes uh we all know the bible has lots of these verses about god being angry and furious mm -hmm. you know why 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 is it saying that you know god's telling us he he made us in his image he has emotions too but what does god do with his emotions does he let is he controlled by his emotions or does he use that to express something to show why he's motivated to do something so let's start with our first verse then about discernment which is this is a great question how do we discern whether these emotions are right or wrong so i don't think there's a bible verse i could be wrong but i'm not sure of one that just says outright this is how you tell if your emotion is good or bad but we do have a framework for generally judging things and that's first john 4 1. hopefully we could put that up this is probably the most famous verse on on judgment or, or discernment first john 4 1. so it says beloved do not believe every spirit you could replace spirit with any person 
any book, any emotion, whatever it is, something that's trying to influence you. Every thought. Every thought. Yeah, great. Every thought. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John's commanding us to test the spirits. Don't just take it for granted. There's mm -hmm. unfortunately a lot of people out there who say, just go with your feelings, go with your gut. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, no, test these things. Test them to see if it is from God. How do we test that? Isaiah 8.20. Isaiah 8.20 gives us the test. This is the most sure test you can do to see if something is from God or not. I can't give you any other test really but this. And it says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So the law and the testimony is an Old Testament way of saying the Bible. Amen. You know, the, the books of Moses, what all the prophets said, and then now we have the New Testament. These are all the testimonies given to us, telling us about Jesus, about God. Mm -hmm. And from this, now we can discern what's right or wrong. And so many people say, oh, the Bible isn't relevant for today. I strongly disagree. The more I read it, the more I am astonished how well even these old stories still apply to us today, how much the old advice mm -hmm. still applies to us. It's still 100% re relevant if you spend time to figure out the principles that the Bible's trying to teach us. Some people get too caught up in literalism, you know, just taking word for word and, well, because this Bible verse deals with a donkey, it doesn't apply to a car, mm -hmm. you know, or things like that. You know, no, we need to think of the principles. So let's talk about now about the emotions and, and discerning, and we're going to look at a verse that's not necessarily about emotions, but it's maybe the greater context of in which we work and function and, and, and we experience emotions. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 3, we'll go through verse 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So we're human, we have flesh and bones, but on verse 4 it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. So if we're just relying on ourselves, dealing with ourselves, we're going to be held back because we're, we are carnal. We have flesh. We have emotions. Um, but in verse 5, it talks about this concept of bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So somehow through God, we get this power to bring our thoughts into captivity. We have a way that we can override at times what our carnal selves are wanting to do. We often talk about how we have the frontal lobe that can think and process, have judgment and reason. And then we also do have, as Wendy said, right, this limbic system, this reptilian brain, some people call it, you know, this, this part of the brain, which a lot of animals have, which you're just dealing with basic survival, right? Fright, scare, uh, gotta run. You know, these sort of things. That system is a part of us. But are we going to be run and motivated and driven by the back of our head? Or are we going to use the front of our head to control ourselves? And and Winnie and I have done a documentary on, on mental health. And we know sometimes it is very difficult to just reason yourself out of 
what's going on in the back of your head. And sometimes you really do need to get therapy. You need to get help from the proper experts that can really help the front of your brain and your back of the brain talk to each other the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'm, so there's, it's complex, yeah. but the Bible is also telling you if you turn to God and with the help of, of his spirit, you can also overcome these things. Mm-hmm. And by his spirit, we get the power to control our flesh. Let's look at Romans 7, starting at verse 14, and then we'll jump to verse 18. Verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And this sold under sin part is important too. Satan is going to play on and take advantage of our carnal self mm-hmm. because that's the easiest to manipulate. It really drives us and motivates us. And all he has to do is get us to stop thinking a little bit and let our emotions, let our drives, our flesh control us, and then he can steer us in terrible directions. Whereas God gave us these things, again, to be good things. Like, you're supposed to, a man is supposed to look at his wife and just love her and be totally attracted to her. But Satan might twist what should be a good thing and make it so that a man will lust over every woman he looks at. Mm -hmm. So we have to use our mind to control the desires that Satan then is taking advantage of and manipulating. And this is what Romans 7 is about. Let's look at verse 18. It says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not, or I don't want to do, that I do. Verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. Okay, so I find a law that the evil present within me, the one who wills to do good. Um, A little complicated verse, but you got this evil within me, right? But you also, you have this will you want to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my my members. Mm-hmm. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I mean, it's this struggle, right? Where we're just being brought down by Satan, taking advantage of our emotions, taking advantage of our carnal desires, Mm -hmm. these things God put in us for good, he's making them evil, trying to have those control us. But what does verse 25 say is the solution? Does I thank God through Christ our Lord, so then the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So basically God is intervening We have Christ now who's delivering us from death, delivering us by his spirit from the carnality. And if you read on in Romans 8, it goes even deeper about, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Uh, Verse verse 6 of chapter 8, it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For the carnal mind is enmity against God. You're God's en- enemy, he's, he's saying, if you're just pursuing your carnal desires, right? Because love is often self-denying. Love is putting others first. But if you're just doing me, 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 I want this, I want that, I want to please myself, 
that is the root of sin. That mm-hmm. is could be sin of itself, putting you against God. And what's what's so fascinating to me about these verses we're reading right now is this is the struggle that every true believer goes through. Every human. Uh, yeah, every, every human goes through. Like mm-hmm. we, there's so much sin in this world, and we end up being partakers of it without even meaning to just growing up in mm-hmm. in this world and having all these sinful influences around us and so it and and we start when we when we find the word of god and we see his true character and his love and his the immenseness of that love it makes us face these struggles that we have and it's like whoa exactly. like i didn't even realize that i was sinning and that I was struggling with sin because I want to do what's good and I'm doing good in all these ways. And, and, but as we become more and more aware of the purity and the holiness of God, then we see these challenges even more. And I just love how these verses right here just so much speak to this psychological struggle and it really is a psychological. It, it's struggle. really what this is talking yeah, about. Yeah, that every single person has to go through, and this is, you know, you look at these at these different mental illness conditions that are out there, uh, and and you know, we really deep dived into like schizophrenia and bipolar and psychosis and personality disorders and all of these things that are like like pretty hardcore, mm-hmm. and at the root of all of them the person is is struggling with these emotions that are and thoughts and thoughts and feelings that are you know there's this desire to do something that's not good and they're like i don't want to do that and then they pull away from people and they isolate and they because they don't want to hurt people and they're struggling with this at an intense intense mm-hmm. level and you know it does yeah. help you realize how these are these are spiritual battles, even though there's there's biochemistry involved with many of them as well. Um, but yeah, these these verses just really um, dive in and open that up. Yeah, and and th- this is considered some of the most difficult passages in the Bible, mm-hmm. Romans seven and eight. But I think when you look at it through this lens of it's yeah, this mental health, this struggle that we're dealing with, mm-hmm. it's it is so real and it captures it. And so the solution in verse 9, as we mentioned before, uh, is, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells within you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really does take a divine, miraculous intervention to break us out of this cycle. We would be utterly hopeless mm-hmm. if God just left us to be under Satan's control. Mm-hmm. We, we would be lost, would be maybe all dead, or we'll just be awful, awful, awful. Mm-hmm. Whatever we have to restrain from doing sin is is thanks to God's help, God's intervention. Mm-hmm. We need His Spirit more than ever, all the time, to help us break through. And, and so this is one thing where we notice the there's a lot of good techniques out there in the secular world mm-hmm. for dealing with mental health issues, but I think Christians and, and followers of Christ have a one-up because mm-hmm. you know that you don't have to find the power within yourself mm-hmm. because we believe from the biblical perspective we don't have the ability within ourselves. it has to come from god god gives us that 
ability. He promises to give us that ability to intervene to. And, it, and that's it not to say that we don't have a role. We always have to choose. We have to choose to accept that ability mm -hmm. and to internalize that. We have to choose to embrace the character of Christ and the character of God. And, and, and that's what Paul is exactly yeah, saying. And internalize that, gobble that up and swallow it down and just mm -hmm. like become that in how we handle issues, even to the point of when you look at Christ and, and at the cross and everything that was done to him in that time, you know, he did not uh, retaliate against these people. He did not um try to save himself from what was happening to him he he loved them even even when they were harming him and so even when we yeah. feel harmed by something that someone else is doing what what scripture is teaching us here is that god loved us even in those situations even when we were harming him yeah, and that's a good point. Now, think of the temptations Jesus was experiencing yeah. when that's happening. Being betrayed, he could, I mean, the sadness, the anger, mm -hmm. yet when he's being whipped, yeah, you're right, get more anger potentially. And it was in that moment, in, in, in the worst of that, that he chose to love anyway. He chose to, to love mm -hmm. the people who were literally killing him. And rejecting him and and the whole time he's trying to help yeah. them like doesn't that get you really angry when you're trying to help someone and and they get upset at you and yeah. attack you and you're like it it hurts it's hard and you just you know it's not easy but like god loved us even when we were killing him and so that we could love others even when they are wronging us and it's just wow I like how you state that. That's even better than what's said in the Bible. We, he, Christ loved us even when we were killing him. Not just when we were sinners, even when we were killing him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is so true. I so, oh, oh, go ahead, Tina. Oh, no, I, 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 I appreciate your guys' discussion you guys are having right now. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know, when it comes to emotions and, and these things, um, you know, there's definitely um, a spiritual aspect to it, which I think you guys are really touching on. Um, and I think that the Bible, like you're saying, has practical tools for, um, you know, to help us when it comes to, to emotional mm -hmm. things. I, I really like the verses you shared as far as, you know, the, that, you know, bringing into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Um, I think that's a really good verse. Um, I just, I relate to this question a lot, um, that my sister's asking because, um, I'm <laughs> a very emotional person. Um, I, I think I have a lot of estrogen <laughs> or something. I just tend to, you know, my, my emotions, you know, should be a two, but they're a 10, um, a lot of the yeah. time. And so I really ask God to help me with that because, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes to, to keep yourself under control. Mm -hmm. And, um, but one thing that, um, kind of has blessed me is, as a verse in Jeremiah 17, um, in verse nine, it says basically that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And so mm -hmm. basically, you know, we can't really trust our heart all the time. We can't trust how we feel all the time. Uh, but it, mm -hmm. it says in verse 10, I, the Lord search the heart. I try the reins, mm -hmm. 
even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And so God is the one that knows really what's inside of us. And I think it's so beautiful. Um, the verse I quote all the time, and I love it, is Isaiah 118, where it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Um, and so God wants to reason with us. And I think that's such an important piece in dealing with emotions, um, because sometimes when you just feel so, you know, you don't really understand, you know, why am I even feeling this way? You know, like I'm, con it's confusing. A lot of times our feelings are confusing. And, you know, um, I recently had a situation a few weeks ago where I was really struggling with just anger uh, with somebody and I was really upset with them. And I was like, God, why, why am I even feeling this way? And I really mm -hmm. had to get to the root of it. I was like, Lord, try me, you know, examine me, know my ways, know my thoughts, you know, and help me see why I'm so upset about this situation that happened with this person. And God helped me to, to work through those feelings. And I figured out, you know, I was upset because I felt that there was an injustice and I had to, you know, forgive and I had to let go. And when I did that, I can't tell you how free I felt. And I know that if it was left to myself, I would just, you know, have resentment and those feelings would just, you know, um, stay inside. But God helped me to reason through what I was feeling and to come up with a good solution, which was, you know, in this case, I needed to forgive this person and, you know, and to use wisdom and how to you know, avoid issues with them in the future. Um, and I just think God is so good in that, um, you know, when, when we have things that we need to, we don't even know why we're feeling them to, um, God will help us reason through them. And then sometimes there's, you know, we just feel like doing stuff that maybe we shouldn't do. And that's the mm -hmm. beauty of God's word. Um, just like you're saying, you know, trust, test the spirits. Um, because, uh, like, the apostle Paul says, the just shall live by faith. You see that in Romans 117, and he's actually quoting the Old Testament in Habakkuk 2 4. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, you might not feel <laughs> like, you know, doing something that's right, but you do it by faith. And um, mm -hmm. I always have heard this in this really great seminar about mental health. They're saying it's faith over feelings, and you need to trust mm -hmm. God's word by faith. Um, more than just maybe how you feel about, you know, doing something like, I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like, you mm -hmm. know, being honest. <laughs> I don't feel like, yeah. you know, doing the Matthew 18 thing where I go directly to the other person and address an issue with them. But that's what God is calling us to do. And we do it by faith. Um, so anyway, mm -hmm. I just wanted to throw that in there as well. Yes. Oh, wonderful points. Yeah. Very good. I'll got, just wrap this more up here. <laughs> I got a ton oh. of verses. We could go forever on this topic, but maybe just end with, uh, I think one verse that really helps for discernment because you can learn about all the wrong ways of doing something, all the wrong things. And actually, let me clarify. I say you can never learn all the wrong ways, all the wrong things. The truth, the right way is a thin and narrow path and just all the other directions, mm -hmm. any other way is the wrong way. So how do you know what's the right feeling, the right emotions, the right way to act, to think and all? I think a great verse for this is Galatians 5, starting at verse 22. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we could put it up. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows this verse, hopefully. Shouldn't be a stranger, but let it burn into your mind. Mm -hmm. This is how I should be striving to be feeling. And if I don't, where can I get that help? It says, but the fruit 
of the spirit. So we're talking about the spirit is one that breaks us out of um, being controlled by our carnal selves. So the and, fruit of the and, spirit. And this is also like, I think you could replace the word spirit here with the direction of those emotions when they are of knowing, discerning, are the emotions producing the the fruit that's talked about here? Or, or the way I would reframe it is, what is the source of these things? It's both. It's what is the source that's coming into us, and then which direction is our emotions going? Anyway, we should we should so, finish this verse. <laughs> so yeah, what's the trajectory? What's the source, and where is it going? Mm -hmm. So the but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse twenty three and gentleness, self control. Against such, there is no law. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you're anxious and worried, what does the Bible say you need to feel like? It says you need to feel peace. If you're sad and depressed, what does the body say you need to feel like? You need to feel joy. If you're um, angry, how should you really be feeling ideally? You need to be long-suffering. You need kindness, goodness. Mm -hmm. So, if you're hopeless, you need faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So these are what we should strive for. Yeah, instead of lust, we need to have love. So we got the the guides right here. And and I and I I think the other the other perspective on this is that when we are looking at where is our emotion taking us and and what behavior is going to come from that because emotions are energy and motion. It's drive emotions drive behaviors. So it so if that emotion is driving us to do something that is going to bear fruit that is not in, in uh, consistent with these fruits then we know that that emotion is is something we need to work on with with God and with you know with our spirit with God's spirit um we with our psyche we need to to work on these things until we can shift it to the point where that that emotion mm -hmm. is actually driving us to do something that is bearing this, good fruit. This fruit, bearing yeah, your emotion fruit. is driving you to do something. Yes. Maybe don't ignore that emotion. Acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Figure out why is it that way. What is it? What is it trying to compel you to do? Mm -hmm. But find the good outcome of what it, a good solution. Right. From what it's trying to. Right. Chan yeah, how that's do we a great channel point. that emotion into something that's going to bear love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. How, what behaviors can can we do that's going to produce that fruit as opposed to responding in a destructive? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yep. I think that's a great way to end it. Tina, any final thoughts? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. I was muted. Um, so actually, there is a question, I think, that popped up. But, you know, we're out of time. And so I apologize. But we will go ahead and answer that next week's show. So I just want to let you know, um, we did catch your question. Um, but our show is an hour. And I know we went already over. So I apologize. <laughs> and actually, we, we have answered that in a previous week. So maybe we could drop the. We can respond in the comments. Okay. The video we answered it. Yeah. Oh, but well, so, we can tackle it also next week. 
you. Yeah, we don't mind addressing it again for you. Um, okay. So I just want to let you know that your voice is heard and uh, we will be answering it at our next show um, as much as possible. So um, anyways, with that, we just want to say thank you to everyone for catching our show this week. We pray that God blessed you and we pray that God continues to bless you as um, this wonderful Easter weekend unfolds. Um, please be sure to like and share um, our show if it's been a blessing to you and just to be able to spread God's word to those um, around in your sphere of influence. I, that's a wonderful way to witness. And we just want to um, close with a quick word of prayer. Oh, but before we go, sorry, I forgot um, that if you have a question that you would like answered on our weekly show, please be sure to go to BibleAsk.org forward slash live right there on the screen and be sure to um, put your question in there so that we can have it answered on our show. Cause that's where we get our questions um, every week. So again, if you have a question, we'd love to answer it um, live on our show at bibleask.org forward slash live. And let's go ahead and close with a quick word of prayer. Um, our father in heaven, we thank you for this day of life. We thank you for your word and your goodness and your promises to us. And God, we thank you for being faithful to us and being loving to us, even when we are not, um, worthy or <laughs> we're, we're not loving as well, God, but we thank you for your mercy. And we pray Lord that, um, you'll speak to our hearts and continue to guide us and lead us in your word and in your truth. Um, and that everyone who's hearing this broadcast today that they will be touched by your spirit and be led in a closer walk with you and in a saving relationship with you lord and your son jesus for we ask and praise his in his name and for his sake amen all right amen. thank you so much for joining us and we thank hope to you. see you again thank you and we hope to see everybody again next week friday at 6 p.m yes. pacific standard time god bless